Welcome to another Countdown to Eternity with Pastor James Gaddis and Don Stewart. But today we'll be discussing what many refer to as signs that indicate we are near the end. What are they? Who will see those signs? Is the earthquake in Turkey such a sign? Let's find out together as we hand things over to James and Don. Well, hello, my dear brothers and sisters. We want to welcome you to another episode of Countdown to Eternity. And the clock is ticking. There are a lot of things happening, and we've got a lot of stuff to get through here. I, of course, am with the great Don Stewart, and there is a lot happening. Don, how are you, my dear brother? I'm doing great, James. How are you doing today? Man, really, really good. As you know, it has been a busy season. (laughs) You know, it's been a busy season because of a lot of the great stories that are coming up, but it's also been a busy season trying to debunk a lot of the sensationalism that a lot of people are inserting into these stories. And one such story right now that we're hearing about a lot and is in a lot of people's ears is Turkey. Now, I want to say this. I think that the United States government is excited about what happened in Turkey because it's taking their eyes off of the balloon (laughs) that was flying over the U.S. Yeah, sad. (laughs) Yeah. So why don't we talk about this, Don? First of all, how are you doing? How have things been with you? And then I'm going to launch a question at you that I think is important. Yeah, I'm doing really well, James. Uh, Doing a lot of stuff now, of course, not only with you. I've got a program that would have you aired yesterday with Tom Hughes talking about the uh, 12, uh, you know, the predictions that are now being fulfilled at the time of the end. We're seeing great response, too. I'm, I'm really happy what we're seeing on Countdown to Eternity. The number of people are watching is now listening to us. And I think maybe one of the reasons is, James, because we aren't sensationalists. We The stories are sensational enough. And that's where we really, really got to be careful. The stories are sensational. We don't need to exaggerate. One of the things when I started the ministry, I remember reading someone saying, whatever you do in the pulpit, never exaggerate. Let people, when you make a claim, let people check you out and find out you didn't tell the half of it, you know, like uh, Solomon, the Queen of Sheba. And so that's kind of what we do here. And um, that's what, you know, we need to talk about because, like you said, We've got this horrific earthquake. Now, to let the people know, this is uh, Monday, we're recording this, and the death toll continues to rise. They're horrific, horrific earthquakes. Now, one of the interesting things about it is, you know who they ask for help is is Israel. Israel's already got boots on the ground there helping them out. It's a, you know, they had a 7.8, 7.6, then a 6.0 aftershock. Uh, Thousands of people are dead. Uh, Our hearts go out to them. There are a lot of still Bible believers in Turkey, even though it was Muslim in name only. But one of the things, James, I think you and I need to deal with is whenever you see something like this, you have people stand up and go, earthquakes, the Bible says earthquakes in the last days, another sign of the end, which this has nothing whatsoever to do with what's talked about Revelation 6 through 18, does it? No. And and I will tell you this, the closest thing that this might have anything to do with as it relates to anything that might be Bible prophecy related is the fact that Israel, for the first time uh, in a long time, is coming to the aid of Turkey, which might improve their uh, diplomatic relations, which may end up going to what we know in Ezekiel 38 that tells us that Israel will be at peace with his attackers, in essence. There might be some significance there, but there are people talking about patterns in these earthquakes and all kinds of other things that are going on that seem to be Bible indicators of 
a rapture coming up very soon. And I, Don, I have a hard time with this, brother. I really do. Yeah. In one of my books called God Wants Us to Know the Future, we talked about signs of the end. I talk about the introduction to Bible prophecy, James. And one of the things we mentioned, we've got to be careful. The signs of the end are in Revelation 6 through 18, signs of the end that take place during the final uh, seven-year period, the seventh week of Daniel, the time of Jacob's trouble, called the Great Tribulation, which technically is only the second half of it. But the signs don't happen during the church age. We're not to look for signs in the heavens during this age. So whenever we see terrible events like this, this is going to happen because we live in a fallen world. It's a, it's a terrible mistake for people to get up and say, here's another sign of Christ coming soon. The rapture of the church is around the corner. And you know, James, it's like we've talked about before on this program. We'll talk about it many times again. Sadly, there's so many people with zero qualifications, get online, get a following, and make ridiculous claims, and they get a, 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 well, you know, histrionic claims. The end is almost here. It's here. Look at this or look at that, without putting it in any type of biblical context. So as horrific as this story is, as terrible for the poor people of Turkey, which we do need to pray for them, this is not a sign of the end. Yeah, and, and it's very, very obvious that it's not a sign of the end. As a matter of fact, I want to go back to Matthew 24 for just a second. Good. Because when you look at that passage, Jesus actually debunks that way of thinking. Yes. He tells his disciples, he says, listen, there's always going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be these types of things. You're going to see earthquakes and famines and pestilence and all, all of these things are, are, are always going to be a part of things. And yes, he does use the term birth pangs. He does talk about the fact that, you know, we might see a frequency of some of these things happening, but there's a real sign that is given. There is a sign that if this generation looks at that sign happening, then they can know beyond a shadow of a doubt they will be the generation that sees the second coming of Christ. The problem is, if you're a believer right now, if you are the bride of Christ, if you are a member of the church of Jesus Christ, you will not see that sign because you will be raptured before that sign happens. So yeah. to be able to say, well, we're looking at all the signs right now, and I understand, I say it all the time, We're look at the signs of the times, okay? It's a biblical term, but the issue here is when you begin to look at the type of things that have been happening throughout the centuries and use those as prime indicators for when the rapture may happen or may not happen, it cheapens the sense of urgency that God wanted us to have in the first place. And the picture here that, that is drawn for us is that God wanted us and always has wanted us to have a sense of urgency regarding the eminence of his return uh, or the rapture of the church and knowing that his return comes in a very specific order that's given to us very particularly. And one of the things that I think that a lot of people don't recognize when they look at passages like 1 Thessalonians, for example, is that 1 Thessalonians was designed to deal with the apprehension of the believers that were alive that felt like somehow their loved ones that died would actually miss the benefits that would come from the rapture of the church. And that's when the Apostle Paul says, hey, listen, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And, you know, he goes, he talks about all of these things because he's giving them reassurance that you shouldn't feel guilty or conflicted or weird about wanting the rapture of the church to take place, especially if you are concerned about those that have preceded you. And, um, and he even told them at the end of that chapter, at the end of chapter four, he says, comfort one another with these words. So if you have apprehension over the loved ones that have died before you and what they're going to miss out on or not miss out on, you can comfort them with the words of what I just educated you concerning 
how the rapture is going to actually happen and what takes place to those that have died prior to that time. Yeah, it's very important we put everything in the context here. And when we say signs of the times, let's understand something. Let's repeat it again, because there's always new listeners and people that are new to the Lord, new to Bible prophecy. The signs we talk about from Revelation 6 through 18 are signs that take place when we're not here during this final seven-year period. But before the signs occur, the stage has to be set for them. I mean, you can't have an Ezekiel 38, 39 invasion without the nations gathering together and forming a coalition, 10-nation confederation, Europe, etc., etc. So in other words, what we're saying here, we're seeing signs that will take place during the last seven-year period when we're not around. And as they come together, as we start seeing them come together, we see the rapture of the church could be you know, imminent. It could happen any time. It may be a while. We don't know. But we're seeing the stage being set for the judgments, the punishment that the Lord will give to this earth, the wrath of God, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, which we haven't been appointed to as believers, that take place in Revelation 6 through 18. So that's when we get the, the earthquakes, we get the famine and this sort of stuff. That's specifically uh, for the last days. One of the books I've written is called Look Up a Timeline of 50 Last Days Events. And it's interesting, James, the 50 last days events start with what? The dead in Christ rising and the rapture of the church. All the rest take place when we're not around, right? That's right. <laughs> Bro, and it's so true. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that people can really start talking about signs of the end when they witness the rapture of the church. But the problem is, is you don't want to be on this earth after witnessing the rapture of the church. No, no. You want to be face to face with the Lord. And that's why it's going to take every believer in Christ will be brought up to meet the Lord in the air. Two things happen simultaneously. The dead in Christ rise first. That we which are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. As we're being caught up, we will be translated or changed from mortal to immortal from corruptible to incorruption, and that's the blessed hope that we have. The blessed hope is not going through the judgments of Revelation 6 through 18, half of them, three quarters of them, or most of them. Now, what kind of blessed hope would that be? That's why we believe, amongst other things, a pre-trib rapture, right, James? I Amen. mean, well, it wouldn't be much of a blessed hope. we got to look forward to Antichrist, all these judgments, uh, you know, uh, a quarter of the earth being destroyed, uh, humanity by the, uh, uh, by the judgments of God. That's something the church isn't going to be around to see. Amen, bro. And God has always protected his remnant. Yep. He's always protected the righteous. And uh, I think in this context, he will. Listen, uh, you know, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And evil oftentimes uh, falls upon those who are righteous, just like it does upon those who are wicked. Yep. But oh. when that judgment comes from God, the story changes, right? I think yes. that's a very interesting thing. Yeah. yeah. I think in the life of believers— the judgment of God is literally an extension of his grace. And if you are a non-believer and you experience the judgment of God, it will be an extension of his wrath. Uh, and I think that that's something that a lot of people don't completely understand. But um, you can see the grace of God in every judgment he's executed prior to the time that we know is coming. I mean, when God even judged the earth through the Noahic flood, it was an extension of his grace in that he preserved humanity by doing it. Yeah, uh, same thing with Sodom and Gomorrah and the Tower of Babel and every other place where we read about these things. Yeah, and you notice, too, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He preached the gospel. He preached what was going to happen. Uh, they tried to find 10 righteous in Sodom. They couldn't do that. So the point is, God reaches out. And of course, we know during the final seven-year period, there will be believers there. This is where we have to make the distinction. There'll be believers in Christ, but not the New Testament church. When the New Testament church is gone, there are no believers anywhere on the earth. But because of the events that take place, many people will turn to Christ during that period. And they're called the tribulation saints, and many will be martyred, but they're distinct from the New Testament church when we're out of here with the when the rapture comes. And then this final seven-year period begins where God again works with the nation of Israel.
undoubtedly, brother. And that's great. So um, let's talk about this, too, because we, we just finished talking about the earthquakes. We do need to pray for all of those precious people. Um, yep. I didn't get to tell you this, Don, but I had one of the most amazing privileges uh, that had befallen on me uh, as a pastor where I got to baptize a woman who was a Turkish believer several weeks ago. As a Ooh. matter of fact, we set up the baptism pool specifically for her. Wow. We have a sister that goes to our church who's from Turkey. She got saved listening to my Bible studies online. And then she sent those Bible studies to her mom and her mom got saved in Turkey. Wow. And so she flew from Turkey because she wanted to get baptized. She flew from Turkey, spent a week with her daughter, and then I was able to baptize her. And she flew back to Turkey and was a hundred miles away from where the earthquakes took place. And we found out that God had preserved her. And what's very interesting is the believers in Turkey are praying that God will use this as an opportunity to bring many souls to Christ. And I think if there's anything spiritual we want to think about with the earthquake in Turkey, we should be praying for the saints and praying that the Lord use this as an opportunity for salvation. Yeah, you know, when you see these these photographs, you know, the real time of buildings collapsing right in front of people and people running, what it does is make people very much aware of their own, uh, you know, mortality. And, and it's very clear that can happen to anybody, anytime, any place. That's why they call it an accident, James, when people are driving. You don't plan on it taking place, right? Well, the same thing here. Earthquakes do happen. We live in a fallen world. There was an earthquake in Buffalo, New York at the same time today, too. And so they do happen. They'll happen in various places. But we see how life is so fragile, and we have to be prepared to meet our maker. And that's one of the main stories. And what is interesting times like this, when we had 9-11 happen here, you had the first responders there, but then you had the first responders of believers there too, didn't you? And you had them preaching the gospel and led many people to Christ because they're asking, well, what if it was me? What would have happened to me? And there's answers that we can give from God's Word, the Holy Bible. Yeah, amen. And that's uh, that's great insight, bro. And I think a real word of encouragement when it comes to stuff like this. And that's the problem with the sensationalism. It can cause us to miss perhaps the most important stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and and that's why we, how we have to look at, you know, terrible things like this, events that take place, tragedies that we look at it where people who are survived this have an opportunity now to, to evaluate their life and say, wait a minute, that could have been me. I could have been there. What would have happened to me? And, you know, most of us don't go through life, James, every day, especially the younger ones and thinking about death, do they? I mean, you go through life, you know, yeah, I maybe mean, it's going to happen someday, but it's not something we think, well, most people don't think about it every day. But when you're faced with something like this, this is, causes people to pause and say, wait a minute. Um, you know, life is fragile. Life is short. And that's yeah. why the gospel comes in and, and does its job at that time. It becomes a complete game changer in essence, bro. And, and uh, n nothing could be more true than that. So that brings us to another story, and this one is very interesting. Let's talk about this big balloon yes. that's been floating over the United States of America. I'm going to let you run with this. Well, the uh, the this is the, this thing. We've been paying attention to this, this balloon. Now, again, this was shot down over the weekend for the last several days. All of a sudden, you know, uh, we hear this story, this balloon from, of all places, China, you know, is flying over the you know mid, mid part of the United States. But it took a week before Joe Biden ordered the military to shoot down the Chinese spy balloon that was traversing the U.S. airspace. Well, why? 
Well, again, maybe it's the Babylon Bee that has the best answer. I'm sure you saw that, didn't you? Oh, it was uh, great. Biden, Biden says, this is the headline, their Friday edition. Biden says, a shoot down Chinese spy balloon as soon as he's done letting it spy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Yeah. I mean, it sounds terrible, but that's kind of, in essence, what it felt like and looked like. Yeah. And, and here's my question. Uh, it didn't, didn't immediately show up on the West Coast and the Midwest of the United States. It had to traverse a long way. I've read stories. They've seen it, you know, in, in the Pacific moving towards this. Where were the people then at the, the borders of the country here on the West Coast to keep it from even entering the airspace of the United States of America? And now uh, what type of, you know, <laughs> response, where was the response then? And here what we have now, and you well know this, this, the, it went, we don't know exactly, unless you've got intel that I don't, about what type of balloon it was. Well, obviously, it's some type of spy balloon. We don't know, as far as I know, maybe, you know, if there's any ordinance on it, any type of, because one of the things we heard, well, we don't want to shoot it down over the U.S. because it may have ordinance, may have weapons there, you know, or some type of explosives or whatever. But um, it, it seems like this is the proverbial to me, as I've seen, maybe you can help me out here, the trial balloon. You know, if the U.S. not paying that much attention to it, let's, and what kind of intel do they gather? We can do this again, again and again. Well, I think it's part of that. I think that when you look at the condition of China right now, you have people that are economically suffering. You have people that are physically suffering. They're experiencing the after effects of uh, the death of so many people and the destruction of things all over and through and through. And the consequences of it all are that they have a failed economy. They have a military that they're trying to strengthen very similarly to the way we strengthened our military in World War II by sort of shutting all businesses down and retooling them to build military assets. And I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to take advantage of weak faces in United States government in order to show a face of strength, uh, especially with Taiwan being on uh, sort of the horizon. And on top of that, I mean, you've got to understand if they can float a military asset across the country without any disruption or molestation of it, then the reality of it is they can pretty much do anything. And if anything, they won a dramatic propaganda war through their actions. And undoubtedly, the assets that were on that uh, spy balloon had enough to do very, very intricate photography, had the ability to be able to sniff cell phones and a lot of that other kind of thing, and also had the ability to be able to make determinations with respect to flight patterns around the area that they would not normally be able to scan because of the absence of beacon radar technology that actually uh, gives numbers in the public databases. So, I mean, they definitely got a lot of information and it's no coincidence that uh, they stopped, uh, or not really stopped, but floated over uh, several high-end nuclear sites, um, particularly the one in Montana, that actually had uh, nuclear silos that had within them intercontinental ballistic missiles with nuclear warheads on it. And they stopped and floated over there and just started sniffing. So that's not a coincidence. None of that is a coincidence. And I think that if the president really wanted to shoot that thing down, then he would have shot it down when it was off the coast of uh, Alaska. Uh, you know, I mean, or around the Canadian coast, they were entering into sovereign international territory, which was also a violation of international law and the obligation to engage would have been predicated upon the United States. 
which they chose not to do anything about, almost kind of feels like it's another pre-Pearl Harbor incident. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned, because I was going to bring that up, that why would they why would they care about floating a balloon over Montana? Well, that's where the, the silos are for the ICBMs. That's where, you know, our offensive weapons are. You know, uh, again, we don't have any defensive weapons. If we were attacked by uh, Russia or some other country, China, uh, all we could do is the, the old doctrine in the 60s of mad, mutually assert sure destruction because we really don't have any we don't have iron dome or anything like that it's gonna knock down uh particularly these hypersonic missiles that are coming that are that are being created but the point is like you said they can they can find out a lot about about what we have we're about our a lot of intelligence that you could normally gather there's something like sixty thousand feet in the air which is mind-boggling to be up that high and the technical uh aspect now with the with the instruments that are around today james it's amazing what they can gather but what it does, it is a big propaganda for a couple reasons. Not only do we look, feel less secure today from this, the Chinese people say, well, you shut down our balloon. Now we're going to retaliate against you. So we got this threat, too. But it makes China feel like they've won a great victory. And they certainly did in the PR realm. Yeah, undoubtedly. And it becomes very interesting to us because... I think that this is indicative of a nation that is on its last leg. I think it speaks that way of the United States of America. I actually think it speaks that way of China. A lot of people think this is the parading of China uh, in its finest moment. I actually think this is the parading of China at its dying moment. Um, and that's a very difficult concept for people to grasp. But uh, Gordon speaks of this and has been speaking of it for a little while. There's been a lot of other great people on China that have been uh, speaking about this and giving this kind of insight. And one of the things that I should mention about this is in the Bible, understand that China and the United States are inconsequential in terms of Bible prophecy at the end. So this would seem to be fitting in a mold. Uh, we could be going in that direction, and this could be the beginning of a very, very hard death uh, for China and the United States, for that matter. Yeah, and when these two countries are out of the way, however, we're out of the way economically, militarily, whatever. That show that means the the real action will be in the Middle East, Western Europe, and, and that particular area of the world. And that's what's coming. Not the Far East with China, not the the West here with the United States. And so, however, we take each other out, and we don't know how it, that game's going to end. It allows the world to play out like the Bible says, where the action is, and you know, revive Roman Empire, Western Europe, Israel. In the Middle East. Yeah, very much so. Don, listen, we've got a minute and a half left, and I'm going to give you the last word, brother. Time went by that quickly. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it is. Okay, people, let, join me right now. I want to pray for the people of Turkey. Let's do that to begin with. Lord, we pray for Turkey, the people there, the citizens there, for the Christians there to come forward and to be a, a witness, to be light to the ones that are looking yes. for hope. They're looking for answers. So right now, remind us to pray for these people and just pray that uh, your your mercy is upon them. We thank you that you we have you have your people there. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Amen. Uh, um, you know, we see things like this, James, and again, we want to reiterate, we live in a fallen world. We're going to see events like this that don't make sense. Why there? Why these people, these innocent people? Well, until the Lord comes back, we're going to live in a world that a lot of the evil doesn't make sense. It's illogical. It's irrational. And that's the world we live in. But what does make sense is the answer to it, the gospel of Jesus Christ that has been revealed to us in Holy Scripture. So in countdown to eternity, like we say, we look at what the Bible says is going to happen. We stick with it, and we don't go beyond that which is written. We stick with what is written. The earthquakes will come, but not during this age of the church. And so let's just make sure when we interpret the Bible, we interpret it in context, context, context.
And to that, I would say amen, amen, and amen, my dear brother. What a great word. Folks, please remember to pray for our brothers and sisters in Turkey and all of the people in Turkey. They are going through a tremendously difficult time. I heard somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,600 structures have been lost, which means that's going to be unsurmisable death. Uh, and so we just want to pray uh, and uh, continue to be praying for them. And folks, we are so grateful that you join us every single week. Uh, we do hope that you enjoyed listening or watching this as much as we've enjoyed making it. We do want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts, and we want to recognize the fact that it is an honor and a privilege to be able to do this with you. So on behalf of the great Don Stewart, this is James Cadiz. We want to wish you a very, very, very blessed day, week, and month as we continue to count down to eternity. And as Don says, may God richly, richly bless you. Thanks for joining us today for Countdown to Eternity with James Cadiz and Don Stewart. Replay any program you enjoy and share it too when you visit CountdownToEternity.com. That's Countdown, the number two, Eternity.com. You can access Don's books like the one he mentioned today, God Wants Us to Know the Future, at EducatingOurWorld.com. They're all free downloads. Again, EducatingOurWorld.com. These are exciting times to be living in. Prophecy is being fulfilled right before our eyes. And we want to keep you informed, not only on this program, but through social media as well. Follow James Cadiz, Educating Our World, and Countdown to Eternity on Facebook and Instagram. Then subscribe to our YouTube channel at Calvary Chapel Signal Hill. There you can watch the video version of Countdown to Eternity. We're also on Rumble at James Cadiz. I also want to make mention of jamescadiz.com. There you can watch our latest live shows and video blogs. Whether you're a longtime listener or new to the program, we'd like to hear back from you and receive your thoughts, questions, and prayer requests. Email us through the website at countdowntoeternity.com. Countdown, the number two, eternity.com. And we'd also appreciate your financial support. It helps us do what we do each week here at Countdown to Eternity. So thank you for standing with us. Just visit countdowntoeternity.com. That'll do it for this week, but come back for the next Countdown to Eternity as James Cadiz and Don Stewart review the latest headlines through the lens of Bible prophecy. This program is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Signal Hill.